I'd like to welcome you to Ananda Sunday service being broadcast from the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. I am Nayaswami Pranaba, and with me is Nayaswami Parvati. And it's our joy to be with you sharing in this way. I'd like to read to you from Rays of the One Light, a book of commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. Today's topic is the mystery of Avatara, or divine incarnation. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as baby, babies even as we are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play. They may seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so we are also like them. Their realization can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensation, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration, Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the Word. Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestations of that divine reality. As the Gospel says in the first chapter, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, a glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om. I also would like to welcome you all and to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. I pour out my love at thy feet of immortality. I beheld thy bliss face emerge from the dark shadows of my ignorance where it had been hidden for long eons by my indifference. And seeing thy smiling joy, I know that my own happiness mirrored thy blessed image. My heart's tiny capacity for love mirrored thy infinite love. My little peace of mind mirrored thy awe-inspiring majestic calmness. 
I will blame the fates no longer for any suffering that comes my way. Beloved Divine Mother, it was my self-made darkness that hid the glory of our mutual love. Now I see myself reflected in thy bliss and know that I too am perfect bliss. For my own mirror is clear now. I behold thy reflection in it, O thy ever-sacred, omnipresent, perfect bliss. This is just a portion of that uh, poem, but I enjoyed it because it talks about not uh, blaming uh, God for uh, the, the things that we lack and that we understand it's our indifference that really makes the bliss of God, the love of God, the joy of God, not our own. Otherwise, it would be our own. And it is really all about consciousness. What is the mystery of the avatara? The mystery is the consciousness. And why is it a mystery? Because of our own lack of ability to be open to and to understand that very high level of consciousness. I wanted to read something that I found. I can't quite remember where, but it's a quote by Albert Einstein. And he says, the true a scientist from the 1900s, the true value of a human being is determined primarily by the measure and the sense in which he has attained liberation from the self. When I read that, I thought, wow, now there is an opening. Because I think the reason that there's a mystery at all about the avatara is because of the time that we're in of the age that we're in, of the evolution of our own understanding about consciousness. In the scientific world, this is an amazing quote from Albert Einstein, because in the world of science today, it's, it's pretty much a fact, I think, known by most scientists, that the brain is what produces consciousness. And so it's like, well, if you start from that premise, then you're not really going to be able to understand the consciousness of an avatar. So anyway, I just wanted to start from that because also, as we are very good at in the West, we take things and uh, make them over in our own image. And so even that word avatar, uh, I want to just say exactly what an avatar is from my understanding because that word is now being used in a way that's strange. I don't even understand the the context of it. But an avatar, let's back up. First of all, we are all souls made in the image of God, meaning we have that bliss, we have that divine love. We understand more than we are aware of right now. And as we grow spiritually, we eventually reach the state of jivan mukta. And this is a very high state. And you've heard that term before probably, but I wanted to just restate it so that we're coming at the word avatar from a reality. 
So Jivan Mukta, you've achieved as a soul, and just you can imagine this for yourself, Nirbhikalpa Samadhi. In other words, you're free. There's no Sabhikalpa Samadhi going back and forth between the ego consciousness and uh, Samadhi. No. Nirbhikalpa, you're free. Yogananda said, you're not, don't think that you'll be free until you attain Nirbhikalpa Samadhi. So you're free. But you have past bad karma to overcome. Past, not even bad, just karma to overcome. And you have to untangle from that current state of real freedom, that understanding, you have to untangle the web of your past bad karma that was created in a time when you didn't have that understanding. So that happens over time. It's a gradual thing that a Jivan Mukta untangles that past karma and becomes a Paramukta. Paramukta means totally liberated. Sister Gyanamata achieved that state. She was a Jivan, not a Jivan Mukta, but a Paramukta. Totally liberated, no karma, nothing is left. And Yogananda's comment on this in the autobiography is that he said, a state rarely achieved in this material world. So for anyone even to achieve that state while they're in this material world is unusual. But so a paramukta. And paramuktas probably reincarnate as well. But when a paramukta, as a paramukta, but when a paramukta comes back by the, I want to say the will of God, but also in conjunction with the desire of that soul, a desireless desire, when that soul, totally free, comes back, that is an avatar. And an avatar comes with a special mission always. It's a very uh, unique uh, incarnation that a soul has. And let's remember that Yogananda said, I killed Yogananda, meaning the ego, long ago. No one dwells in this body now but, but God. And so for each of the avatars, which are line of gurus, it's a line of avatars. And so for each of them, they've been where we're at right now. It's very important to remember they're simply souls who have achieved over time, over many incarnations, perfection, and have now in that perfection come back to bless the world with their understanding. And so for us, our line of gurus with the path of self-realization begins with Babaji and Christ. And Christ comes to Babaji and says, my followers have forgotten about inner communion and they do good works, but they're not, uh, the inner communion part is not there, which is vital for understanding how to even do good works. And so Babaji in 1861 begins that mission that he knows. He and Christ work for the salvation of this world, this planet. And so he starts things by in 1861, drawing Lahiri Mahashai. Lahiri has lived as a householder and is suddenly 
He's a bookkeeper for the uh, Indian government, or the, the British government, actually, at that time. And uh, he's drawn to Raniket. He gets an assignment to go to the Himalayas. And from there, he meets Babaji. Babaji incarnates before him and uh, as a young man, looking very much like Lahiri himself, and uh, initiates him into Kriya Yoga. But I wanted to um, read, because these things happen in a certain context, and the autobiography is full of beautiful quotes that the, the dialogue between Babaji and Lahiri and Babaji says at this time, he says, the cries of many bewildered worldly men and women have not fallen unheard on the eyes of the great ones, the ears of the great ones. You have been chosen, Lahiri, to bring spiritual solace through Kriya Yoga to numerous earnest seekers and in addition, because of Lahiri's interplay with Babaji, he says, you may give Kriya to all who humbly ask for help. This is a, a big thing. It's a huge deal that Kriya is being reintroduced into the world, the highest technique that's talked about in the Bhagavad Gita, and that it's now available to all who humbly ask for help. And then... Uh, in, so that happens in 1861, and we think, okay, what's next? Well, 33 years later, <laughs> so Lahiri has two assignments from Babaji. He is to give Kriya Yoga to all who humbly ask for help, and he is also to continue to live his life in this exalted state of a totally free being, among people. So he's to continue. He's a married man. He has two children. He's, he's got a wife. He has a job as an accountant. He is civically involved in creating a high school. He does many things. But this goes on for decades, over 33 years. And, you know, maybe we're thinking, why does it take so long? But I think it's good to remember in 1861, in this country, we were just beginning the Civil War. It was, it was a low time. We were not in the consciousness, the spiritual consciousness, to be able to receive such a visit from one from Babaji and to have someone here who could really carry out that divine mission. The consciousness wasn't there yet, and the consciousness is everything. There has to be enough of an elevated consciousness for an avatar to be able to come in and begin a mission such as Babaji and Lahiri at that time began. And so where was the place where that could begin? India. And so because even in India and even with the British I was very touched again, and every time I read it, I'm very touched by the fact that in Lahiri's office, his British superintendent says, ecstatic Babu. This is how he addresses a British man, addresses Lahiri. 
he says, ecstatic Babu, I know you're, you're not an ordinary man, but my wife is, is ill in, in England, critically ill, and I'd like to get some word from her, and, I, and you're promising to be able to get word for me? Because Lahiri disappears behind a, a, a door or something and comes back and says, don't worry, she'll be fine. And the man says, I, I know you're no ordinary man, but is this really real? But, but he has, an, the British man has enough of an opening of consciousness, and he realizes that Lahiri is special. And so he, he, in fact, is able to heal the man's wife, and she comes later on. But that opening of consciousness must be there. But in 1894, in January, Lahiri now has a disciple, Swami Sri Yukteswar. He's not a Swami yet, and Swami Sri Yukteswar makes a point of that. I'm not a Swami yet, but I've received uh, Kriya initiation from Lahiri Mahasaya. He's my guru. And so from that point, Lahiri strongly suggests that he go to the Kumbh Mela in Allahabad that year, in 1894 in uh, January. And so Sri Yukteswar goes and his beginning account of that, he says, I really wasn't very happy to be there. It was chaos and all this uh, stuff going on. And it seemed like a lot of people were pretending to be sadhus and they really weren't. And he just had a pretty low uh, uh, understanding or uh, vision of what he was seeing there. And then right at that point, a man approaches him and he says, a saint is calling you, come with me. And Sri Yukteswar says, well, who is this? He said, come and you'll see. And again, the exchanges are very, very sweet and important for us to uh, remember and understand. When Sri Yukteswar comes, he sees this pretty highly evolved, even from the very beginning. He recognizes this is a highly evolved soul. And Babaji says to him, greetings, Swamiji. And Sri Yukteswar right away says, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm not a Swami. And Babaji says, those who I, who I am inspired to greet in this way, to name in this way, do not cast it off. <laughs> and then Sri Yukteswar bows before him full out and realizes what a what a high soul uh, he is. But Babaji says to him then, he says, I saw that you are interested in the West, an opening, as well as the East. I felt the pangs of your heart. He's saying this to Sri Yukteswar. I felt the pangs of your heart broad enough for all men. That is why I summoned you here. So Sri Yukteswar has that already. And, uh, and this is when Babaji, again, has assignments for these avatars who are now coming to him. And he asks Sri Yukteswar to write the holy science, to write a book that will show the underlying unity between East and West, the scriptures of both of those. And then Babaji says, the vibrations there in the West of many spiritually seeking souls come flood-like to me. That's 
all of us, not yet incarnated, but all of us. And then he says the second part to Sri Yukteswar. He says, I will send you a disciple to disseminate the yoga teachings in the West. And so Sri Yukteswar, this is 1894. Yogananda arrives on Sri Yukteswar's doorstep as a disciple around 1910. It's a long time later. Yogananda's only a year old at this point. So, but I just wanted to show the progression and how long it takes for, again, the consciousness of people to evolve, to be ready to accept higher teachings, to be ready. It's not, boom, they come and then it happens. It's an evolution. And in the beginning, when Lahiri is giving Kriya, he won't allow anybody to advertise it. He just lets it happen very naturally. But it takes 33 years for that to evolve to a point where the second phase comes in. And then Sri Yukteswar, I assume, is in Calcutta. He has properties in uh, Sri Rampur and in uh, Puri. And so around 1910 is when Yogananda, now also seeking his guru, and he's had visions of him, but he hasn't found him yet, finally meets Sri Yukteswar in Benares. He, Sri Yukteswar is there visiting his mother, and they meet. And then uh, it's a wonderful meeting. But then um, uh, they finally come together. And Yogananda, again, Sri Yukteswar's assignment is to train this disciple to bring the teachings of yoga from India to the West and to America, specifically. So 10 years go by, and Yogananda is really trained by Sri Yukteswar. Swami Kriyananda said one of the things that he noticed about Yogananda in, in, that he wrote about in the uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, a biography, it's one of his salient characteristics, is he said, I never saw him in the least bit affected by what anyone said to him about him or said to him, not in the least bit affected. There was nobody there to be affected. But also Sri Yukteswar, Yogananda relates this, worked on him, really trained him, really brought him to the point where he could withstand coming to America. And, and then in the last couple of years of being with Sri Yukteswar, Yogananda also starts a school and uh, learns how to take on some more organizational activities. Then in 1920, as we all know, he sails for America and it took him two months <laughs> to finally arrive in uh, Boston in the harbor there. And then Yogananda, as an avatar again, arriving on the shores of America, what did he bring to us? Because it's an incredible thing for an avatar to be coming to the materialistic West. I mean, even Yogananda says, I was really afraid of, you know, would I have the strength to, to withstand the materialism 
of the West that everyone knows about at that point in the world. But, uh, but he goes and he brings to America, in my understanding, three things. One, he brings the power of an avatar. This is a special dispensation that he brings to America. And this is very, very important for all of us to remember. I know we've heard all these stories and these things before, but since today's topic is the mystery of the avatar, I just want to emphasize again, and Swami Kriyananda, a great direct disciple of this avatar, recommended and really strengthened <clears throat> this understanding for us. This is a special dispensation. It comes with the power of an avatar, his consciousness, his love, his joy, his wisdom. The power of that can move mountains, the mountains of our ignorance, the mountains of our karma, everything that we feel even today that hold us back from being one with God. We say these words, one with God and, and all of that. This is a special dispensation. And Yogananda, during his lifetime, <clears throat> said to his disciples, you should all try to achieve being a Jivan Mukta in this lifetime. Swami Kriyananda heard him say this number of times. Well, Jivan Mukta means you're totally inwardly free and you have some past karma to work out. So from where we're all at, we might think, who, me? <laughs> My meditations are okay and, you know, I'm doing okay. But please keep in mind, this is a special dispensation and it has the power to move mountains spiritually for each one of us. Please do keep that in mind and shoot for Jivan Mukta. Understand what it means. And in your meditations, really try to achieve that. Try to understand that deeper. And know that Yogananda is there supporting you, more than supporting you, rooting for you. It's a, it's a very special lifetime. So a special dispensation with the power and the glory of an avatar who came specifically not only to the West, but to America. <laughs> Landed in Boston, spent a few years there, traveled all over, got to know America, and then made his home where? In Los Angeles, California. Because that's where his heart called him to. He knew that was the place to start from, his mission. So then what else did Yogananda bring? That power. But he brought the techniques and the ways to actually do this, the attitudes, the, how to live a daily life as a Kriya Yogi. He brought Kriya Yoga, yes, which is an incredibly powerful technique. It goes right to the heart of the matter of why we're not free. <laughs> we go into the spine, we move energy up and down, and we become free over time. It all takes effort and time. But he brought Kriya Yoga, and he brought the uh, attitudes 
of how to act, how to be in the world and not of it, how to do this. And so I remember when I was coming on the path, I thought, I need to know how to meditate. I need to know how to live a spiritual life. Must be past memories, but, but that's what Yogananda brought. And in addition, the third element that he brought was world brotherhood colonies. He brought a way of life to bring all of that into a community, a spiritual community, an intentional spiritual community, which he called world brotherhood colonies. And I want to tell just a a brief story of my experience of finally really experiencing deeply what world brotherhood means. We were in Assisi in 2017. There was a Kriyaban retreat, a number of Kriyacharyas from the village went, from India came, and we all were there. I wasn't looking forward to it, quite frankly, I have to say. Uh, Assisi has a small uh, campus there. This was going to be hundreds of people there for a week. And I thought, ooh, I I hope it will be okay. But I just, I don't know, I had misgivings about it. It turned out to be one of the most incredible spiritual experiences of my life. And why is that? Because all these people came, a whole group came from Russia. People came from Croatia. People came from England. They came from all over Europe. They came from America. They came from all over India. And even though there were, there were translations in a number of different languages, the Russians had their group going and all that, even though we couldn't communicate directly sometimes with people, the consciousness, again, that word consciousness, the consciousness was world brotherhood. It was so incredible to experience that so powerfully in that setting. I think it helped tremendously that everyone was a Kriyabhan <laughs> because we were all meditating together as well. But that experience, I thought, this is what Master meant, world brotherhood community. Because that kind of community, what we have here even at the village and the other Ananda communities in the, in the U.S. and throughout the world, they're communities of consciousness. It doesn't just happen. It's not just people getting together and you know hoping for the best. And I know it's always more than that. But it really is about world brotherhood colony means consciousness. And so the fact that we practice Kriya Yoga together, the, the fact that we are living this life together, and each one, as Jyotish said, We expect each one here to have the maturity that they're doing their level best to follow the teachings. We don't look out for people. We don't spy on people. We don't say, oh, you know, I noticed you didn't come to Sunday service a couple of times. And we don't do that here. It's about magnetism and it's about consciousness. And so because we're practicing that together, that's possible. The next time that I experienced 
and an even more dynamic uh, experience of that was our 50th anniversary when in this very temple, hundreds, seven to 900 people were here for a week. And again, the, the week before I remember feeling, oh, I hope everything goes okay. We've, we've never had this many people here on this land and for an entire week. It was wonderful. I remember standing in the back of this temple and just feeling this wave of consciousness and joy and love from all the people coming. And I thought, this proves it. It really works. It works that we're all on this path, practicing Kriya Yoga, looking inwardly for our Corrections and and are making ourselves more perfect as we go, but it works. It's been incredible, and so this whole line of gurus, Christ and Babaji, Lahiri Mahasaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, and then Yogananda coming to bless us in the West, in America, but really to to bless the entire world with this consciousness of, wow, we're spiritual beings. And he, as, as Yogananda said, the time for knowing God has come. And so let's each of us live more in that consciousness, in that dynamic awareness that we are, we are like Yogananda, as it said in the reading, the avatar, we're, he's like us and we're like him. So let us not be afraid to go through the troubled times that we're in right now, which may get more troubled, but, but it doesn't matter so much if we're working on being inwardly free and sharing that with other people, which this temple has been a godsend for us to be able to do that. And so go forward in that way. I just want to say that in a very loving, joyful, dynamic, encouraging way, don't be afraid of whatever happens and know that you can achieve spiritual greatness, spiritual evolution, spiritual consciousness of the highest kind in this lifetime. We've worked millions of lifetimes to come to this one. Don't let it go by without doing your level best to really take advantage of this line of avatars that have come to bless our lives and really change the consciousness of the entire world. God's grace can bestow If you but reclaim What you've given Why not ask of God Any wonder you crave Worship me to satisfy 
Hope for those deep. 